A man was walking in the desert for five days. Five days. Very hot day on this particular day. He is thirsty and he is hungry. He is miserable. He feels as though he is at death's door. When all of a sudden, off in the distance, he sees a house. And he manages to crawl all the way up to this house, to the door, and he knocks. A preacher answers the door. Opens it, sees the man sitting there on his doorstep. He says, what can I do for you? The man says, I've been walking for five days. I need something to drink and something to eat, and I need directions to the nearest town. Preacher nurses him back to health, gives him something to drink, gives him something to eat, and, and, and gets him going again. And, and the man says, well, how do I get to the nearest town? He says, let me tell you what, I'll, I'll give you my horse. You can take my horse, and I'll tell you how to get to the nearest town. But I've got to tell you something about this horse. This horse does not respond to ordinary commands. This horse does not respond to giddy up. This horse does not respond to woe. To get this horse to go, you have to say, thank God. To get this horse to stop, you do not say woe. You say, amen. The man says, whatever. He gets on the horse. He says, giddy up. Horse does not move. Giddy up. Horse doesn't move. Giddy up horse doesn't move. Finally, the man remembers, oh, that's right. The man says, kind of whispers in the horse, thank God. The horse starts to walk. That's amazing. Well, they're going along and moving kind of slow, and so the man says, thank God, thank God, and the horse starts to trot. This is a horse. Not quite going up to speed yet. The man says, thank God, thank God, thank God. All of a sudden, the horse takes off in a full gallop. And they're going across the desert. And all of a sudden, the man looks up and he sees that they are headed right over a cliff. The man says, whoa. Horse does not stop. The man says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Horse does not stop. He says, stop, whoa, stop. And then he remembers, amen. The horse immediately stops. The man sits back in the saddle and goes, oh, thank God. Very bad, very bad, sorry. Thankfulness, right? It's Thanksgiving. It's the season of Thanksgiving. We're talking about being thankful. Actually, we're going to talk about a, kind of like a, what I call a three-legged stool of gratitude uh, today as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, and uh, this was a church that was undergoing persecution. Uh, it was a church that, was, uh, uh, that had written to Paul about certain issues, and he wrote back. And towards the end of the book, Paul goes on to give them some specific instructions, some concluding remarks of things that he wanted them to do. Um, at the end, this is very similar to other letters that Paul wrote. He would, towards the end of his letters, he would kind of throw in some concluding remarks each time, and this is no exception. At the end of First Thessalonians chapter five, verses sixteen through eighteen, and we're going to look at this passage today as we talk about well, what we're really going to talk about is God's will for our lives. Now, when we think of God's will for our lives, we tend to think of things like our spouse. Well, who does God want me to marry? What is God's will for my life when it comes to getting married? Or where should I go to college? We think about God's will as, you know, where does he want me to go to school? 
Well, think about God's will in light of where does he want me to live? Does he want me to live close to home where my parents live? Does he want me to move across the country? We think about God's will in terms of the job that we have. What kind of job does God want me to have? What should I be doing with my life? These are all kinds of questions that we think about when it comes to our individual lives and the individual decisions that we make as far as what it means to follow God's will. Now, what if God's will is something greater than that? What if God's will is greater than the individual decisions that we make in our individual lives? To be certain, God is concerned about the things in our lives. He is concerned uh, about the decisions that we make. I know people who won't get dressed in the morning until they talk to God and say, God, what do you want me to wear today? Okay. Um, I just put on whatever's in the closet and smells clean. Um, yep, clean. So, uh, but what, is it, what does it mean to really follow God's will and to know God's will for our lives? Well, it, it, it's more than just the individual decisions that individual people make. I think that God's will is really about our hearts. That God has a will for our hearts. And that's what we're going to talk about today when we talk about God's will for our lives. If you will grab your Bible and uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the one in the pew in front of you. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And we're going to look at this short passage, just three short verses, uh, but we're going to look at a lot of other scripture as well. Also, grab your bulletin and turn to the handy-dandy outline. You will find that on page 3, and you can fill in some blanks. The very first blank on your outline is rejoice always. Look at verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul simply says three words, be joyful always. Be joyful always. Like I said, this is kind of like a three-legged stool, these three different areas of gratitude that we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first one is this idea of to rejoice always or be joyful always. This is kind of a theme throughout the New Testament of this idea of having joy and being joyful. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul wrote to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. To have joy. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Is James really saying that we should have joy even in the midst of the trials and the tests and the tribulations of life? Absolutely. Now, how is that possible? When our faith is tested, when we are tempted, when we are tried, when we are going through the ringer, how can we have joy? Because there's a greater purpose to our suffering. The people in James's day were suffering persecution, and we were not persecuted like they were. Uh, we were not persecuted really at all. When you think about it, we live in a nation where we are free to come together on a Sunday morning and worship without fear of repercussion without fear of persecution and, and jail and, and worse. But we do face trials and tests of our faith in our lives. We know that. Uh, we know that life can be hard. But when our faith is tested, the reason that we can have joy when our faith is tested is because uh, the tests of our faith produce a result. And the result of the testing of our faith is perseverance and maturity. 
That's one of the goals of our faith is maturity in Christ. To grow in our faith and to become more mature and more complete as Christians and followers of Jesus. To become more fully surrendered and more fully devoted to Jesus every day. To become more like Him. To become more mature. To become more loving. To become more joyful. To be more filled with the Spirit. This is God's desire for us that we would be mature in our faith. No longer concerned about the the selfish desires that we have, but rather we are concerned about God's kingdom more than just concerned about ourselves. So that we will learn to trust God in the trials and learn to trust Him in the tests. And this brings about maturity in our faith. And like I said, maturity is one of the goals of our faith. Not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus intimately as uh, our Savior and as our Lord. We can rejoice in knowing that being a Christian is not about our circumstances, but it is about our Savior. Being a Christian is not about our circumstances, but it is about our Savior, Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? In the, six, in the circumstances of life, the things that we face and the things that we go through, it is hard, let's face it, it's hard to be happy. But rather than being happy, we can have joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Happiness is getting a cookie when you're two years old. It's like, can I have a cookie? Here you go. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have a cookie. And then, can I have another cookie? No, you'll spoil your dinner. I'm not happy. We do this as adults, don't we? Can I have a new car? Bank says, yes, you can have a new car. You make late payments. Can I have another new car? No, you cannot have another new car. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Joy is dependent upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist, and, and this is what he said. He says, happiness is caused by things that happen around me, and circumstances will mar it. But joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. Get this. It is an unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart. A secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know anything about. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. Joy is about following Jesus. It's not about having things. It's not about having stuff. It's not about happiness. Joy is in following Christ. In 1 Peter chapter three, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, Peter says something very similar. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. You who, are, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him 
and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the other goal of our faith. One is maturity in Christ and growing in our faith and becoming more like Jesus. The other goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls. That Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. He gave his life for us. He shed his blood on the cross so that we could be washed clean in his blood. And we are forgiven and we are free from the consequences of sin. We are free from the consequences of our actions. The eternal suffering that we deserve is not ours because Jesus died for us and he gave his life for us. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, God saves us by his grace. When we believe and repent and confess and are baptized, God washes us clean in the blood of Christ. We had an awesome time last week in worship. We had a baptism after our second service. And it was just, it was just amazing to see how God moves in the hearts of people and how he brings about transformation and change in our lives and he saves us by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that is the greatest reason to have joy in all circumstances no matter what you're going through no matter what happens no one can take away your salvation that it, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our salvation through Jesus Christ. That nothing is going to change your status in God's eyes. Nothing is going to take you away from Jesus. That God has given His Son and He has given His life so that we could be free and that we could be forgiven. And nothing can take away your forgiveness. The only thing that can separate you from God is you. The only thing that can separate you from salvation is you and saying, I don't want it anymore, I don't believe it anymore, and you walk away. Jesus Christ never fails, and his promises never fail. And he has given his promise to you that nothing can separate you from his love, and nothing can separate you from his salvation. That is a reason to have joy. That is a reason to say, I, have, I, I can rejoice and I'll say it again, I'll rejoice. Why? Because I'm going to heaven. We sang songs earlier about going to heaven. And, and what a wonderful concept that the, even though we suffer in this life, we have a, a, an eternity of, of joy and in the presence of Jesus that nothing can separate us from. That is the hope that we have, that we will spend eternity with Christ. And that is a reason for joy, to be joyful always and to rejoice always. The second blank on your outline this morning is pray always. Look at verse 17 in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray continually. Two simple words. Pray continually. In other words, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Well, we may ask the question, well, for what should we pray? What should we be praying about? Uh, in Ephesians 6.18, Paul wrote, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. The question isn't, what should we pray for? The question is, what shouldn't we pray for? There's nothing that we shouldn't pray about. There's nothing that we shouldn't talk to God about. We should be praying about everything on all occasions. Everywhere we go, we should be praying and talking to God on every occasion. In James 5.13, James wrote, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. How many of you are in trouble? I mean, maybe not with the law or maybe not with, you know, your spouse or something. But I mean, does, is there anyone here who does not have trouble in their lives? No. I didn't think so. Oh, sorry. I got troubles right here in River City. Capital T, that rhymes with P, that stands for problems. The fact is, is that we have troubles. We have struggles. 
We have situations that we can't control. But we think to ourselves, I'm going to do this. I got this. I can do it myself. We're like, we're like three-year-olds. Three-year-old says, I'll do it myself. And we, we, do, we say that to God. I'll do it myself. I don't need your help. When we don't pray, that's what we're saying to God. I don't need your help. I don't need your assistance. I don't need your intervention in my life. I don't need you. I can do it myself. No, you can't. You can't. You need help. You need God. You need His power. You need His strength. You can't do it yourself. You can't overcome the trials. You can't overcome the tests. You can't overcome the tribulations and the troubles of life. If any one of you is in trouble, he should what? Pray. He should pray in all circumstances and all occasions. We don't have it figured out. Anybody here got it all figured out? Sorry. I don't. We have to pray. We need to pray for others. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray that our church will fulfill the vision and mission that we talk about. This idea of making disciples who love God, love others, and spread the gospel. In four letters, in four of his letters, Paul says to pray for the advancement of the gospel. Four different churches he writes that to. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. Pray that the gospel will be effective in reaching the lost, reaching the people who don't know Jesus. We always need to pray. We need to be continuously praying. The gospels tell us that Jesus went out on several occasions by himself in order to pray. Jesus went to go and pray. He went and talked to his heavenly father. On more than one occasion, on many occasions, he went and he prayed. If Jesus knew the importance of prayer, the Son of God knew how important it was to pray. Who do we think we are that we say, I don't need to pray? Who do we think we are that we say, well, I'm too busy to pray? Really? Too busy to throw up a prayer to God, to say, God, help me. God, watch over my kids. God, bless my church. God, bless my family. God, uh, help those in need. Help those who are having surgery. God, help those who are struggling. You're too busy to do that, to think of somebody else? You're too busy to pray for your kids? What greater thing could you do for your children than to pray for them? Nothing. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Pray. We need to pray continually. If Jesus, the Son of God, knew the need to pray and spend time with His Father, how much more do we need it? Oh, how we need to pray. But we may think to ourselves, well, you know, I, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to have God listen to me. I don't deserve to have God answer my prayers. You're right. You're not. I'm not. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good God is. It's about His love and His care. And the Bible says to cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. If He knows the very number of hairs on your head, if he cares that much about you that he knows the number of hairs on your head, or how many used to be there, but if he knows that, how can he not be concerned about the, the areas and the, the things that you're going through of your life? He knows and he cares and he loves you and he loves me and he wants to move in our lives and he wants to change us and transform us and answer our prayers. But what do we do? We don't pray. How can he answer a prayer that is, is, that is left unprayed remains unanswered? 
It won't answer prayers that we don't pray. Pray. Okay? We may think, well, I'm a bother. I don't want to bother God. I don't want to bother God with this. I don't want to bother. You think you're bothering God? He took time to make you and create you. And and he took time to save you. And and he, he, he let his son suffer and die for you. And he loves you that much and you think you're going to bother him? You're not a bother. It reminds me of the story of Albert Einstein. When Einstein fled Nazi Germany, he came over to America and he bought a house, uh, an old house, about two blocks away from Princeton University. And so he's uh, at his home uh, one day and uh, all of a sudden, I mean, he used to entertain distinguished guests uh, and uh, some of the most important people of his day. They would discuss things all the way from physics to human rights. And so all these people would come and see Einstein at his home near Princeton including a 10-year-old girl named Emmy. A little girl named Emmy. In, in, in the world's eyes, she was not an, a very important person, you know, in the world's eyes like his other guests. But you know what? She had heard that there was a very kind man who had moved into her neighborhood who knew a lot about math. And since she was having trouble with her fifth grade math, she decided to visit the man down the block and see if he could help her with her problems. And Einstein was very willing and explained everything to her so that she could understand it. And he also told her that she was welcome to come by any time that she needed help with her math homework. So a few weeks later, one of the neighbors told Emmy's mom that Emmy was often seen entering the home of the world-famous physicist. Horrified, she tells her daughter that Einstein was a very important man whose time was very, very valuable, and he he couldn't be bothered with all the problems of a fifth grader. And then she rushed over to Einstein's house, and when Einstein answered the door, she started to blurt out this apology for bothering for her daughter's intrusion, but being such a bother. But Einstein cut her off. He said, no, 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 no. She hasn't been bothering me. When a child finds such joy in learning, then it is my joy to help her learn. Please don't stop Emmy from coming to me with her school problems. She is welcome in this house anytime. What a great story. And that's just... But here's the thing. We think, oh, I don't want to bother God with my problems. What, is God too small to handle your issue? Well, he's, he's busy worried about tornado victims and, and typhoon victims and tsunami victims and, and people who are, are poor in, in, in third world countries and things like that. No, God cares about you. He loves you and he wants you to pray to him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to move in your life and help you grow in faith. God welcomes the prayers of his children. He wants to hear from us. So pray. Take time to pray. The last blank on your outline is give thanks always. Give thanks always. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the first part of the verse says, Give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. No matter what we're going through, we need to give thanks to God. Every blessing that we have is a gift from Him. And we are a blessed people. We have more stuff than we know what to do with. We have closets full of clothes, pantries full of food. We have uh, multiple cars in our driveway. We've got all kinds of blessings. And God has poured them out on us over and over. Even the poorest among us are wealthier than the majority of the rest of the world. And yet what do we do? We complain. We complain and complain and complain. We do not thank God for all that he has blessed us with. We have more than we need, but yet we pine for more. You know, it's like, oh man, 
I'm, I'm pretty blessed and I, I really don't need, is that a new phone? I, I need the new phone because my phone is, well, my phone is six months old and I, and I don't like my six-month-old phone anymore. Sure, I have the power of the internet at my, I can call anybody on the planet really and, and you know, I mean, you know, this is Star Trek stuff, folks. This is Star Trek stuff and, and what do we do? We complain about, oh, I don't like my phone. It's too slow and it doesn't do what it's supposed to and, and I need a new one. Or I don't like my clothes. My clothes are out of date. And they're out of fashion. This is a Sean complaint. Um, you know, I, I, I don't like... How many of you go to the fridge? Open the door. Mm, I had nothing to eat. How much food is in your fridge? I had nothing to eat. Go to the pantry. Look at it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Nothing to eat. Let's go out, right? They got food at the restaurant. Wrong. No. But what do we do? We complain. We are not content with what we have. And therefore, we do not give thanks as we should. We complain about everything. We complain about our spouses. Who complains about Anybody complain about their spouse here? Don't raise your hand. Don't. People are going to stare at you. How many of you complain about your children? Anybody complain about their kids? Oh, that struck a nerve. All right. We complain about our spouses. We complain, complain about our children. How many of you complain about your job? What are you doing, hand? Stop. You don't complain about... Okay. Complain about our spouses. Complain about our children. Complain about our jobs. Complain about our homes. Oh, my house is too small. My house is too big. It's hard to keep clean. I and mean, we're not happy. We're not satisfied. We're not content. We complain about our clothes. My clothes are last year. We complain about our cars. My car doesn't get enough, good enough gas mileage. Or my car doesn't, it's got a rust spot. I need a new car. We complain about our church. Have you complained about your church? Don't raise your hand. I already know. We complain about our food. We don't have enough or we got too much or it's expired. Or, or we complain about everything. We complain about our neighbors. We complain about our coworkers. We complain about everything, our siblings, our parents. We complain about everything. You know what Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says? Do everything without complaining. Oh, what? That's in there? That, that's not, a, not in my Bible, is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without complaining. Complaining is a sign that we are not thankful. That's what complaining is. It is a sign that we are not thankful. How can we express thanks and gratitude to God when all we ever do is complain and gripe about what He's given to us? You know, we celebrate Thanksgiving once a year, right? One day a year we celebrate Thanksgiving and then we complain the other 364. And even the 24 hours of Thanksgiving, let's face it, we're sleeping for eight of those. So that's 16 waking hours on things, 16 hours of thankfulness. And we don't even, we don't even thank him 16, those 16 hours. It's, does this turkey taste a little dry to you? I can't believe the Packers and Lions are playing at 1130 and lunch is at noon. I got to miss half the game to eat with the family. We complain even on Thanksgiving i got to drive all the way across the state to get to family. We complain. I'm thinking, how crazy is that? A day set aside to give thanks to God. And what do we do? We complain. We are horrible people. Are we not? 
a day set aside for giving thanks, and we complain the whole day. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you. Yeah, we take 30 seconds and thank Him on Thanksgiving. This is, there's something seriously wrong with us. You know, rather than complaining about your spouse, thank God for your spouse. God brought them to you for a reason. You know, in the book of Genesis, we're going to do a series uh, coming up after the first of the year called In the Beginning. We're going to look at Genesis 1 through 3. Thank God for your spouse. They're not perfect, but neither are you. You complain about them, guess what? Guess what they do when you're not around? Complain about you. Okay? Thank God for your spouse. He brought you together for a reason. He doesn't make mistakes. You know, quit treating your spouse like they're a mistake. Um, don't complain about your children. You made them. Thank God for them. Thank God for your children. They teach you all kinds of stuff. You know, and, and they're a blessing. You know, and here's the thing. Maybe they are the way they are because that's the way you've taught them to be. Ooh, <laughs> sorry about that. I've heard it said that values are caught more than they're taught. They may not listen to you, but they are watching you. My little guy is watching me. He is watching. Believe me, he's watching me. I got to watch what I say and do around him because he, he, he's like a little Sean. Seven-year-old version. He's my mini-me. I shall call him mini-me. That's my mini-me. He's just like me. Oh, poor world. You know, we, we'll complain about our kids. Well, why do my kids whine so much? Really? Why do my kids complain so much? Uh-huh. Listen to yourself. Maybe your kids are the way you are, they are because that's how you've taught them to be. You know, why do my kids whine so much? Why do you? Listen to yourself. You know, why aren't my kids more grateful? Why aren't my kids more thankful? Have you taught them to be thankful and grateful? Are you thankful and grateful? Don't complain about your spouse. Don't complain about your kids. Don't complain about your job. Be a, here, here, here's a suggestion, okay? Be a Christian at your job. All right? Be, be a follower of Jesus at your job. So that when you go in there, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do what Jesus said. You're going to treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And your workplace will be transformed. If you will be the light of Jesus in your workplace, you will transform it. But if, if you don't set a good example of what a Christian is, and you don't live out your faith at your job, it ain't going to change. It ain't going to get any better. So thank God for your job and work to make it a better place. Thank God for your spouse. Thank God for your children. Thank God for your job. Thank your Heavenly Father for your family, for your co-workers. Thank Him for all the blessings that He gave, that He's given to us. Thank Him always. Give thanks always. And for the greatest gift of all, salvation through His Son Jesus. Let us give him thanks rather than our complaints. You know, when you boil it all down, when it comes back to God's will, what is God's will? What is this three-legged stool that we're talking about, this three-legged stool of God's will? God's will is that we would live joyful, prayerful, thankful lives. Lives that are marked by joyfulness, thankfulness, and prayerfulness. And look at the, the last part of 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Let's read the whole thing. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, we try to figure out 
God's will with regard to the details of our lives? What is God's will for me with who I'm going to marry or where I'm going to live or where I'm going to go to school or what kind of car I'm going to drive? What is God's will in all that? I think God's will is even bigger than that. What is God's will for my heart? And God's will for my heart is that I would live a joyful, prayerful, thankful life. And, and that's not to say that God isn't concerned about where I live and who I marry and how many kids I have and what kind of car I drive. God is concerned, but his greatest concern is that my heart would be overflowing with joy and prayer and trust and thanksgiving, that I would live a joyful, prayerful, thankful life. Our purpose in our life is to honor Christ with our life. Look at the bottom of your handy-dandy outline for a second. There's something new we're going to start today. It's called the Sunday Conversation. Okay? How many of you have been to our Facebook page, Griffith FCC? Facebook.com slash Griffith FCC. Okay, if you have not been to our Facebook page, use your HDO this afternoon and go to our Facebook page and click like on it. And on it, you are going to find a question. The question went up 10 minutes ago. Did you know that you can schedule posts on Facebook? There's a little clock and you just schedule when you want the post to go on. And so you click on that clock and say, I want the post to go on at 3 o'clock in the morning. So you can like literally make a post up praying all night, click three o'clock in the morning, and then like people read that and they're like, wow, what a spiritual person, and the whole time you're sleeping. Don't do that. That's not good. That's deceitful and lying is bad. Okay? So don't schedule posts that you're up praying at three o'clock in the morning unless you're actually up praying at three o'clock in the morning, which is a good thing to do. But I want you to go to our Facebook page, Griffith FCC. Uh, facebook.com slash griffithfcc and and answer the questions that go along with this sermon. This is an idea that one of our sisters came up with and uh, I think it's a really cool idea. And so we're going to do this every Sunday. There will be some questions that you can answer and keep the conversation going throughout the week. Just comment under the questions uh, that you'll find there and uh, you'll be able to go on there and um, answer these questions and kind of see what other people say and uh, it's kind of a a new way to do a challenge. Um, But I also have a challenge for you today And that is to listen to yourself. Listen to yourself this week. What's coming out of your mouth? Is is what's coming out of your mouth thankful? Is it joyful? Is it prayerful? Or is it more complaining than anything else? Are you more negative than positive? Are you more complaining than thankful? You know, is your mouth overflowing with, with thankful speech? So listen to yourself this week and the things that you say. And then a a second challenge I have for you is I want you to get a physical reminder of something for which you need to be thankful, okay? It could be a picture. Maybe it's a picture of your kids. And I want you to take that picture of your kids and I want you to put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day this week. Just as a physical reminder to thank God for your kids. Or it could be a a post-it note. You're going to take a post-it note and you're going to write my job on it. And you're going to put that on your mirror at your house And it's just a physical reminder to say, thank you, God, for my job. Because there's a lot of people out there who would love to have your job. They would love to have your job because they don't have one. Or they're not getting paid very well. They're doing minimum wage work, and they would love to have your job. So thank God for the job that you have. Thank God for the family that you have. Thank God for the house that you live in. Put some kind of physical reminder somewhere where you'll see it this week as a reminder to thank God for what he's blessed you with, okay? Maybe you can set an alarm on your phone. Uh, like on my phone, I can set alarms to go off, and it'll remind me. Set an alarm on your phone to remind you to pray. Just put, you know, thank God. Yeah, schedule it in a time every day, you know, 10 a.m., thank God for my family. Thank God for my job. Thank God for my spouse. 
and just set that to go off every day. Just a reminder, just to whisper a prayer and say, God, thank you for blessing me in such a way with this wonderful job, with this wonderful spouse, and with these wonderful kids. Because, man, life is good. It's hard. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you, oh, no, life is easy. Life is great. You know, We're all playing in Willy Wonka's Wonderland. No, it's not. I know life is hard, but life is good because God is good. And when God is in our lives, life is good. And when we are thankful and prayerful and joyful, we will understand what God's will is for our life. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to have a good understanding of your will for us, that we would live lives that are thankful and prayerful and joyful, that, Lord, we would not complain, that we would recognize and see the blessings that you have given and provided, and that we would truly be thankful for all you've done. We don't want to be thankful one day a a year. We want to live lives that are marked by gratitude. So help us to to be grateful for all you've done, especially for the gift of your son, Jesus, because he gave his life for us. He suffered and died for our forgiveness, and we can't thank you enough for that. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to get into your word today and pray that we would take the challenges that, that that it presents and that we would live lives of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. In Christ's name we pray.